Hello, and welcome to this episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. My name is Catherine Troyer, and I'm so excited to get to be joined, as always, by Tony Tresca. Hey there! This is a podcast where the horrifically nerdy meets the terrifyingly academic, as we explore that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited to have you join us today for our episode on 2023's Dream 6. So this is one of our eerie extras, which is sort of where we put all the things that we can't possibly fit anywhere else. And we have done an eerie extra for Scream 5 and now Scream 6 because they've come out at a time when we needed to be able to talk about them, but not in our normal lineup. And I must say that I'm much happier about talking about Scream 6 than I was Scream 5. Absolutely. This is going to be a much different tone. And I think type of conversation than the conversation we were having on our conversation of The Last Scream. We, as anyone who has listened to our previous episodes of the Scream franchise, well knows we are big fans of the Scream franchise. We've done episodes on all of the original four. We did that eerie extra on the fifth one. We haven't gotten, I haven't checked out the TV show. Have you checked it out? Yeah. Okay. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like that probably, it's not bad. It's just, it's one of those things where the first season was fine. In fact, had some really great moments, but it didn't need to continue beyond one season. And, and yet it did. And also it was kind of one of those things where it was like, I'm not sure I could articulate to you what they were hoping to achieve. Were they hoping to serialize the story? Were they hoping to have the story work for a new generation? Were they hoping to see what could happen in a new generation with the same idea. And the answer seems to be that they were just like trying to do all the things because really they were just trying to capitalize on having the, the, the franchise. IP. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, so maybe I won't check out the Scream television show. I won't jump on checking it out. Because I, I mean, do, like, as I was saying, I love the Scream movies. Yes. On the whole, yes. they're... Ex this fifth Scream was a little bit disappointing. I wasn't super in love with a lot of the main cast that they introduced or ultimately kind of the situation that they found them in. Is that kind of, to just briefly summarize our conversation about the last Scream, is there anything else you want to throw in there? I think for Scream 5, you know, they were really banding about the word requel, right? Which is something that is somewhere between a remake and a sequel. And they were trying really, really hard to make it stand on its own, right? And I think that was their problem that they then decided to just sort of abandon in Scream 6, right? And Scream That's a 6... That's way to put it, yeah. Yes, it's a sequel of Scream 5, so it's already a, a sequel more explicitly. But I think that they embraced the fact that no one was really interested in having Scream for a new generation. We were interested in continuing Scream and seeing what that would look like for a new generation. And I think that they figured that out in this one because it was much less heavy-handed about how how much this was about the younger folks versus the OG crew. Which is also ironic, though, because I think this Scream 6 features, just like in terms of pure screen time, far more of the new cast. And Well, it has to, And right? it has to, because, I mean, 
as we can look and you know what let's just go ahead and talk about that talk about this film's development and some of the casting and controversy yes. behind it yes, the, re- the real horror show the behind Yay. the scenes drama <laughs> So first, I guess yes. we can just Tony start was with... like, do you oh, want to hear all the drama? And I was like, of course I want to hear the drama. <laughs> you know, that's my favorite part about these episodes. I was so just, please. I was like, this is an eerie extra. We're not supposed to go on that long. But, you know, no. if, you, if you want it, I suppose I suppose we can get into no, the behind I do. the scenes drama. So <laughs> most prominently, I mean, as anyone who has seen the film and big major spoilers for Scream 6. And all of the Scream movies to follow uh, in this conversation. But as anyone who's seen the film knows, uh, Sidney Prescott is does not make an appearance uh, in the film, the character. Correct. And that is due to real-life salary negotiations and contract negotiations that happened with Paramount Pictures. Yeah, so had you did you know about this? I did, I did. And I knew... That the fans were really interested in saying that, you know, we we want to see Sydney some more, but we really respect Nev Campbell enough that we're willing to to agree with her that if she's making these requests slash demands that she probably has good reason. So that that's kind of the extent of my knowledge about it. She issued a statement on June 6th uh, after it was announced. So it was announced on June 6th that she was not going to be coming back. And she issued a statement that where she said, as a woman, I have to work extremely hard in my career to establish my value especially when it comes to Scream. I felt the offer that was presented to me did not equate to the value that I brought to the franchise. It's been a very difficult decision to move on. To all my Scream fans, I love you. You've always been incredibly supportive to me. I'm forever grateful to you and what this franchise has given me over the past 25 years. So she, it was just, she was very candid about it, that it was just, Mm -hmm. she did not feel the offer that was presented to her adequately matched what she was worth. And so she yeah. walked. She didn't. She couldn't think of walking onto a set where she felt so undervalued. She later went on to say. And although I am confident that her definition financially of of what's being undervalued is probably different than my definition, just because I I have never commanded <laughs> impressive salary prices, I I have to agree that I'm I'm sure that she has faced because we know for a fact that that women and and BIPOC actors do increasingly have their demands not met just for equity, right? Not even for top billing. Now, so what Scream 6 does is it has this one line that is almost a throwaway line where Courtney Cox's character says, you know, something along the lines of, Sydney's living her happily ever after, don't you think she deserves it? And I kind of wish there'd been a a little bit more discussion there, I guess, partially because I, I can't help but feel like that's an impossible thing for a character to have, like Sydney, after the, the, the life that she's had, particularly because she was roped back into it for Scream 5. But I, I'm glad that they gave her that if they were going to, to not have that character in there anymore. Yeah. Before we get too much further, just for the sake of, of people who... Hopefully everyone has seen Scream 6 that is listening to this, but for people that may have seen it a little bit ago, do you have a spoil-free plot summary for us? Uh, I can riff something into existence. Yes, do it. So it begins uh, about a year after Scream 5 and those Woodsboro killings, and we see this kind of Fox situation uh, in which these two students are are kind of like creating a Scream-like situation with 
amazing actress, Samara Weaving, who we could talk about yes. a little bit more in a second. And But then Ghostface shows up and does not like that they're impersonating him, kills them both. And then we realize this is the true start to the Scream movie. And we see now Ta- Sam and Tara are living in New York City, attending Blackmore University. And pretty much everybody from town has moved to New York. We're going to New York, baby. <laughs> uh, you've heard That's of Jason right. Takes New York. Get ready for Scream Takes New York. <laughs> yes. And so Excellent. basically, you know what? That's pretty much it. I think that's a good setup. It's Scream. It's co- it's New York. It's college. It's basically Scream 2 meets Jason meets Manhattan. Exactly. Without, you know, the boxing scene on the roof where someone's head gets boxed off. So we And without him, we <laughs> yeah. don't have to spend any time on a boat. That is also true. Which what is life if you're not on a boat for half of a movie set in New York? Okay. <laughs> so the we we were talking about the fact that there's less of a of a sense of tension between the OG crew and the the newcomers and a part of it that's because Sydney's not present, part of that's because Dewey's not present. Now we of course he's still dead. have because he's dead. Um although you know it's one of my favorite things to do is to read all of the the pieces that people put together where they're like just because someone's dead doesn't mean they couldn't be in the next one. Here's how it would happen from, you know, Dewey's character to Yeah, I was about just to say someone I'm going to make, I have an argument. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make later to, in this episode. Excellent, excellent. Two, I just saw in the news that Parker Posey was like, I would be delighted to have my character come back, which would be kind of fun for, you know, in the this new franchise to have her return. But we do, of course, have the return of, a, of another semi-OG character in that they're from the fourth film, and, and that is a Kirby, uh, played by Hayden Panettiere. Now and I so, did have to check. I, I am. I am, maybe I'm not. I said I was a big fan of the Scream franchise, but maybe I'm not as big of a fan as I perfect. I did have to check who she was after watching it. I was like, I know I should know who she is because everybody in my theater made a really big deal about it, and all of the characters yes. are acting very reverent towards her. But I was like, I really cannot. I was like, cannot really remember. So I went and checked it. I was like, oh yeah, Scream Four. She's kind of like the. The kind of the sidekick uh, from yes. from that franchise, and I, she has a couple of memorable moments. I did watch a couple of clips from it. Sure, I, you know, I had to I had to remind myself that she wasn't one of the bad guys because I think for some reason, yes. like <laughs> I, I, I remembered she, that it was yeah. Well, I think maybe it's just because that was how they brought her up. They kind of teased her. They were like, maybe she's evil in this one, and so right, I was like, right. was that maybe because she was evil in the other ones? I, I died. But then I was like, no, that's not. She was just kind of along right. for the ride in Screen 4. And of course, you know, she's coming back as an FBI agent, which, Absolutely. you know, we've been taught to be suspicious pretty much in any Wes Craven film. Uh, we've been taught to be suspicious of anyone who's in a formal policing or really any sort of role of leadership or control. So Absolutely. You know, Although she, it is complicated, of course, because she was involved. She herself is a survivor of the 2011 right, right. killings. Let's yeah. <laughs> let's start with with let's start with this shift to to New York City. So you know we we start with our, our cold franchise. opening. Yeah. So for the first time in the franchise, we're not in Woodsboro, which is interesting because in many ways that town is as much of a character as as are the the other characters, right? Because it's this weird like little tiny place that happens to have all of the, these horrific things happening, and now we're in the big city. And from our very first cold opening with uh, Samara Weaving, we're reminded of why New York really is a great place to have 
a horror film, right? Because it's it's full of not just alleys, but it's it's full of people who think that they are connected when really they're just strangers, right? And so I think that that was a a good way to introduce us to Scream's version of of New York City. Yeah, I thought that that opening scene um, in which the professor. I, I, how did you feel? Because she is she's a professor <laughs> of horror, or what was it? Yeah, horror comparative literature, something, yeah. something like that. Uh, Lo- uh, and Laura Crane, her name. Yes, yes. <laughs> being um, catfished by Jason in New York. I know there were some excellent names, like you know, yeah. just being like, hey. And of course, you know, Crane, for for those of you that just aren't being able to make connections in the moment, because I often struggle to make connections in the moment, it gives us a nice psycho reference, right? And so, you know, honestly, I felt the same way that I always do when I see classroom scenes in horror movies, and that is, or really anything, right? And that is that it just feels so fake. Like, it's not that I can't imagine someone as as smart and as as pretty as Samara Weaving as being a professor. That's not what I have struggled processing. I think it's that she clearly had money um, because she like her clothing was nice and she's in a swanky bar. And that's the part that I'm like, no, no professor Inaccurate. lives that life. <laughs> uh, but the, the part that is sort of this fear about retaliation and, and how, how higher ed is sort of shifting, I, that part felt very real to me and very frightening because, you know, in all of those cold openings, think, in, min- in several of the cold openings across the franchise, there's been this real sense that, you know, whoever was killed was deserving in the minds of the killers of some sort of retribution, right? And one of the screams, it does, it is just kind of a silly, like, we watch them being killed and we realize that's the show and then we watch yeah. that and we see it's a show. But like, you know, especially and of course, the first scream and this most recent one, there's this real sense that they feel very entitled, right? That this person, according to the killers, deserves to die. And that part was scary. Uh, as someone who teaches, to think that students or anyone, right, could think that. You know, so we see that cold opening and we realize that there are more characters that, like, apparently all of Woodsboro really <laughs> has moved to New York City, not just this, like, friend crew, but, like, these other people that are tangentially related to things. And so then the question becomes what we're figuring out is, like, who is the killer, right? Because our killers from that cold opening are then killed. And yep. that lets us know that there is a. There are many killers at play here, which I thought was also kind of an intriguing way to, to start the film for us. Very reminiscent. I've got, I mean, I guess I'm just going to keep saying this. I guess very reminiscent of Scream 2, and it feels like, yes. oh, we're going inter- to, we're introducing multiple killers into it. I, I, I really think that this is a very smartly constructed film in terms of how it pays respect to other films within the It's getting back to, I think, the core of what good what a good scream movies do it pays respect it's paying respect to other scream films within the genre but more to its point it's really satirizing the horror of the moment and getting back to that which i think it really allows for a lot of fun and instead of feeling so much like a remake requel to the original scream it it, it has nods structurally to the other films with some of the other films within the genre particularly Scream too, but it by a lot coming more of just a, st- a story set in New York, it allows this new cast to really step up to the plate. And I think three out of the four of them deliver in a really big way. Yes, I completely agree. And I'm also I, I know already who it is that you think doesn't step up. So here was another thing that I thought was a challenge in Scream Five. You could tell that the actors 
as well as the characters were constantly having to justify their existence in this new world, right? Whereas in Scream 6, because the characters have survived their own screaming, if you will, they weren't having to justify why we should care about these characters, why we should follow them. And that added a a really just lovely level where we're already really invested in these characters. And like you said, three out of the four really deliver both in terms of performances and in terms of characters. Unfortunately, the character that is in many ways the flattest is what was originally, I think, supposed to be, you know, Sydney 2.0, and that is Billy Loomis's daughter. Yeah. Sam? Yeah, may, I mean, I can't even remember the character's name, yeah, to be honest. Her, it's Sam Carpenter, the do- um, oh. played by Melissa Barrera. And I, I, I've got to agree, I think that her, it is, while well, she's given somewhat of an interesting storyline in terms of kind of this, like, flashing back and forth between these flashes of a killer that's inside of her, and, mm-hmm. and maybe that's really going to be, she's going to really get a chance to just, like, step up to the plate and scream sick. To continue, I guess, my baseball metaphor for some reason. New York yes, Yankees. Oh. Yes, I, yes. I, I so no, I'm going to drop that. <laughs> so you're talking about what you want to see maybe in Scream 7? I, I think, I, I'm hoping that they, maybe that they are, she's really going to get to take in that kind of core role. Because in this one, she really just is, she's moved to New York kind of on a whim to follow Jenna Ortega's character, Tara to college and so she's just kind of playing this like kind of concerned mom-like character throughout it who's just doesn't really have a lot going on in her own storyline aside from this kind of like oh am i a bad person am i evil and i'm like i don't know you haven't really done a whole lot that would really other than like think other than show us these flashbacks that may that would make me actually believe any of this. So I don't know. Right, right. It was a lot more telling than showing with this character. Whereas I think, and so maybe I'm, that's what I'm saying. Maybe hopefully the six, the sixth one will do a little bit more of that show and show her cre- doing some actions on these kind of flat visions that she's having in her head. But right now I just wasn't super interested in that. And I think yeah. she was ultimately the least compelling of the four main, what did they call themselves? The, Oh, that's right. They have a hilarious name. Oh, so the hilarious name that Chad nicknames them, the four survivors, is the core four. And that's they do right. a whole bunch of silly gags around that. And they have like, and so she, I think that just her character, Melissa character of Sam, is just ultimately the weakest of the core four. And all of the other ones, yeah. it's a shame because all the other ones are really fun and have a lot going on in this movie. So there's a couple of things that I think are happening, right, with Sam. And I think that first there there is exactly what you said, that so much of her story is being shown to us instead of, or is being told to us, right, instead of us getting to see it play out. And I think that the actress just has a flat affect. And that might not be, and I don't think it was as much of a problem for Scream 5, but by this point, when you have a character like Sam who already is in the story trying to figure out what her place is in the world and you have this sort of like flat affect compared to the other three core four who are played by more expressive actors and whose characters have more development right the whole point of sam is she hasn't developed right yes and who just have straight up more at like they just have more to do and i think it's particularly noticeable because so much so many of sam's scenes are with ara played by jenna ortega who is 
just such a good actress. And, like, she's really, like, her profile has really grown since Screen 5, particularly with the release of Wednesday. Of course, just kind of launching her to new heights. And I think maybe the franchise people knew that maybe that property was coming out, and so maybe place more emphasis on her character in this one or maybe just like they even internally realized wait a second Jenna Ortega is really talented because I felt like they placed the camera on her more they gave her a lot more really awesome reaction shots so even when she wasn't speaking in a scene you absolutely knew how she felt on it and I felt in some ways some of the reactions her reactions particularly to Sam's kind of performance were very funny but honestly kind of undermined Sam's performance, because you're like, oh yeah, this she really is just kind of no, not going on, nothing going on, kind of crazy. Which, yeah, good for the movie and story that it is, but it does just kind of draw attention to kind of that performance as kind of being the weakest of the core four. Well, and there's a, a moment, the moment when Tara is stabbing to death the, the son. Yes. Um, That Ortega's performance is just outstanding. And this is, you know, she has a really storied career. She's been acting for a very long time. And I think you're right, whether or not that when they made the decision, I don't know, but it is very clear that in this film, they are shifting who is the scream queen character and who is the more, not quite Gail Weathers character, because that's not entirely who Sam is, but Sam is definitely in this film, no longer the sit. And, and I think that that's, that's an important distinction to make. And also the other two members of the core four are now truly becoming not just potential fodder, right? In the first film, we don't really have time or space to to know whether or not we should love them. Yeah, because Chad just... and Mindy are just kind of like twins. Yeah, who are exactly. Introduced to us, and they—they're very funny. I—I I think we even said that in the, sure that they, and particularly, I—I I enjoyed Mindy's performance in Screen yes. Five. Uh, Jasmine Savoy Brown. She was very funny in Screen Five. She did a really good kind of like homage to this original scene from Scream where you explain all the tropes of the horror. I thought that that was the best part of that original movie. And so I was glad that they came back. And I was so happy that they were both given more to do. Mindy's given a girlfriend. Oh my gosh. a partner in this one. And it's R.I.P. So So there's some great things happening with Mindy's character. I think that, again, we have a really stellar sort of performance of her character talking through the rules for the the sequel of a sequel and also it cracks me up there are two things that they did with that character that just cracked me up it cracks me up that she was suspicious all along of um the the one the son who's the killer and she's constantly like giving him the the evil eye but everyone else is like cool it mindy but i also think it's hysterical that when she survives you know and she's like Man, I missed it again. You missed and I it didn't again. Yeah. It again. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was just a a really accurate way of of building this character further, and and just also really capitalizing on the fact that the actress has some great comedic timing. And I thought Chad had some really obviously his uh, Mason Gooding is very funny, but I also thought he had a lot of really emotional moments in this film that he did yes. or dramatic beat, particularly his like. I mean, first of all, I just want to say as much as I love this character and actor, and I'm so happy he's going to be back in the next one he should be dead uh, he was oh, 100%. so many 100%. times on camera just in front of it like that guy yes. i listen i didn't i guess i don't really ultimately care because i'm excited yeah. he's back but i thought that his like that kind of like fake death scene that they did was very good and so i was a little bit i guess I felt a little bit emotionally cheated 
that they were going to yes. have that moment and then bring him back. But I I'm agree. not upset that he's coming back for Scream 7. Does that make sense? I also agree. That makes perfect sense because that's exactly how I feel as well. You know, obviously, when you get attached to characters, you're not wanting them to die. But also, you don't want to assume that a, the core group is going to live, right? Yeah. And I don't know if this means that they're just going to do a lot of that killing in 7, but, like, none of our core group died. Right? I, I thought that was going to be the moment where it was like, oh, my God, shit got real. Like, yes. like okay, this core, like, I'm sorry, core 4... That doesn't mean that we're protected. We're not like right. we're not we're not above being cannon fodder. But then it was just kind of like, nope, magic god powers of yeah, story. Yeah. The story we even says have that I with Gail. Yes. Yeah, even Gil, you know, should have died. Like we should have I lost agree. one of them. And I don't know if they were just yeah. giving us kindness after Dewey or, or what it was, but I, I did feel Since cheated. They couldn't bring Sydney back. They were like, right. we can't really like we can't afford to lose more core members, but I was like right. I don't know. I, I do think at a certain point, you don't want to sacrifice, like, what feels like, I guess, like, character sympathy and, yeah, and nostalgia yeah. for story purposes. So this film gave us a continuation of, of uh, another sort of homage to Scream 2 in that, just like in Scream 2, we find out who's the killer. It's the family, right, um, right. of the killer from the first one. In this one, it's it's the same thing, right? Um, the killer ends up being the dad, the daughter, and the son. We have our first three. I almost said threesome. That's not right. We have our first set of three <laughs> killers. Um, we're continuing the family. I will say, of course, I was surprised that the daughter was still alive, right? Yeah. Because that, you know, that that was the one of the sort of twists. And also they did a really good job of, of making it clear that the son should have been suspicious, right, as, as the outsider. And sort right. of like purposefully creating this red herring by drawing attention to the red herring. But I will say that like it wasn't really, I don't, it wasn't a surprise for me. It wasn't a surprise person I was watching the film with that the, the police officer was was the killer. And I don't know if that's just because... We've seen all these Scream films before. We've seen other Wes Craven films. But I was not as surprised, I guess, by the twist reveal as I have been in previous films, which was upsetting to me because it felt like the twist reveal happened a, took a lot more time in this film. Yeah, I, I agree. It's because it's not like Scream can't have, is doesn't have a history of like underdeveloped secondary killers. But I think like in terms of in those like that second tier slot. I mean, the Scream 2 is a perfect example. As much as I love Laurie Metcalf's killer, uh, who I can't even really remember who the secondary killer is on that movie. It's, um, it's that, like, film kid. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm, I guess I remember that now that you're saying it. But, but I don't I, remember his name. But, so it's not like it, that's super uncommon. I think just the fact that it was so obvious in this film. And maybe it's because, surprisingly, this is, I was looking at the cast, it is a bit of a smaller ensemble. So I think maybe there are mm -hmm. just straight up, with when you keep in mind the people who have to die, there are just straight up less options of who it could be like it really did come down to like it's either this cop or it is kirby like it's it's one force it, right i guess it's like either it's either the federal government and policing is bad or your local police are bad in terms of who the killer exactly. is going to be exactly. for this one. And they went with the local killer. So it wasn't too police officer. So it wasn't too much of a, you know, I thought it was, it made sense story-wise, but it was very obvious. And maybe it took so, maybe they took so long just because they were like, we really just hope you have fun with these characters, which I did. So I see the problem, but I enjoyed the ride there that so much that even when I was kind of ultimately disappointing who the killer or 
really predict, just I guess really predictable is perhaps right, the better right. way, who these killers were and their demise was like, actually their demise was kind of awesome to witness. That's where we got that awesome Jim yes. Ortega moment. So I, you know what? I recognize that maybe it's a story problem, but it was executed well enough with actors I enjoyed enough and they were given smart enough dialogue that I was willing to go with it, even if it's, yeah, killer is pretty unsatisfying. Yeah, there there definitely were some intriguing elements. <laughs> there was a moment where the dad says something about, you know, like when your joy and hope and uh, as a son dies and they and then they, you know, move the camera to the other son and he's like, oh, dad, I didn't know, you know, and you see this like disappointed look on his face. You know, there were these moments that let us kind of see the the potential of what would happen if an entire family went on this sort of rampage. I think what I would have appreciated was either knowing who the killers were earlier so we could think a little bit more about what would the dynamics be of a family of killers who are doing it for the most beloved son who's no longer there, or if in the sort of final battle scene, there had been a few more moments where we kind of got to see that like maybe they're not all on the same page. I don't know. There was just something that for me made that last scene very interesting action-wise and and gave us some really great fight scenes and and stuff like that. And it was set in a really great location that was spooky. And of course, we have all these props from all of the previous films in the franchise, which was super cool. But but there was just something in terms of the narrative that that dropped for me. And maybe that's the price you pay, right? That's the price you pay for that final act of, of violence is that you're just going to have spectacles, that you're just going to have a little less uh, narrative cohesion. But I, I felt that by the time we, we had the big reveal, my emotions were no longer at play, particularly because apparently no one was going to really die, even as my excitement of the slasher part of things was intensifying. Now, you said that there was um, a, a different plan originally for... I mean... A different plan in terms of when there were different people in charge of the franchise. Oh. Yeah, so prior to the release of Scream 4, uh, original writer Kevin Williamson, he had mapped out Scream 5 and 6, but decided, or um, maybe not decided is the right word, was told by the studio <laughs> that yes, they were going to wait to see <laughs> the how the film did box office-wise before agreeing to produce any more films in, within that kind of version of the screen first. I see. In 2014, Williamson announced that it was Scream was supposed to kick Scream 4 was supposed to kick off a new trilogy of films, but did not take off in the way that they had hoped. And then he obviously uh, said he was or I guess not obviously, but he said he was not going to be involved any further. And then he and that he and Craven were and the team were done with the Scream franchise. And then obviously a Craven passed pretty soon after that. And so he was obviously not going to ever be able to come back to Scream. Mm -hmm. Williamson's not really interested in coming back. And then, but his in that initial pitch, Scream 5 was going to be basically Scream 2 again, but with following Jill Roberts. So that is the Emma oh. Roberts character okay. on being stalked by a killer at, at a college campus. So the basically exactly Scream 2. Similar to this. Not gonna lie. But isn't isn't Jill the bad guy? Is Jill the bad is Jill the bad guy? Yeah. I thought she and I thought she and one of the Hulken brothers, I mean obviously it's the actor, but maybe yes. maybe it means that Scream Four was gonna be different. I think maybe it meant too. that it was gonna be different, but that is the original that was the original plan. Interesting. Um, or maybe it was just gonna be like she kind of sort of does survive and then has to live with this guy. I don't know. Hmm. I have no okay. idea. 
but that was the original plan. And then Scream 6 was going to feature Gail Weathers um, and Dewey as like the main characters in some way. So I guess kind of what more of what we got in the last film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that was kind of the OG plan for that. Do you know anything more about what's going to happen with Scream 7? Ooh, I don't know any more about what's going to happen with Scream 7, other than the fact that they have said that they are very hopeful that there is going to be another one. Um, and right. so I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure we're going to be seeing another Scream. So I'll tell you what I would like to see for Scream 7. It's no, I, it's... let me, let me just, simple answer is, as of, as of recording this, and we are recording this on April 20th, 2023, but the film has not been officially greenlit yet. The directors okay. have been talking about it, and people involved with it have been talking about it, and are saying they're hopeful, but it has not been officially greenlit by the studio yet. Okay, well, since obviously the people making Scream 7 are listening to this podcast. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, Hello. I will tell you, what I would like to see is some sort of strangers on a train type premise of of a couple of people. The, the premise behind strangers on a train is that they realize that if they kill each other's person that, that they are wanting to murder, then they have an alibi. Not only do they have an alibi, but there would be no, nothing to connect the killer to this stranger or it wouldn't make sense as motivation. And I think it would be kind of interesting if we had a similar sort of premise where we're fig- trying to figure out who could be the killer and we're realizing like it just doesn't make any sense because the motivation doesn't make sense with who we think it is um, or the different people being killed. Like there's just two strains of people being murdered. And then of course we realize that it's some sort of strangers on a train type thing. Cause there's a hint of that, I think in, in Scream 1 with Billy and Stu where, you know, they're kind of taking out each other's people, but they're also, you know, working much more in tandem. But I think I would like to see see that because I, I think that this Scream 6 did a good job of reminding us that the Scream killers always have a legacy and a connection to the the characters. But what I really just don't want to see in Scream 7 is a repeat of Scream 3 where it's like, hey, wait, here's an entire backstory that you didn't know about. And it turns out that Stu also had a child that we're just now going to introduce. Like, I just don't want it to have the equivalent of well, like, but wait, okay. you have a brother. So Okay, but now if Stu does decide to come back as the duties in a single line in this, which I, yeah, as a Stu stan, I did catch. Oh, I would be willing to have Stu back, just not his kid. Okay, okay. Oh, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. I, yes. I just wanted to make clear on no. the record that I, to the Scream 7 people oh who are going to greenlight the film, Please. I am publicly in favor of bringing back Matthew Lillard. I think everyone is, right? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I feel like everybody is. If you, I, it would be, I as much as I'd love to have Sydney back, I think that they could have, I, I would rather have Stu if I can only have one. Yes. And I think that Stu would be interesting because he would kind of take over the cotton weary weary role of, you know, the, this person point. that we can't quite trust, but also do we trust? I mean, I don't know if I need Stu to be the killer, right? I think I'd be also okay with seeing how has he dealt with the repercussions of this. I'm also okay with him being the killer. I just really don't want Screen 7 to take the whole like, but wait, there's a secret sibling that you never knew about from that time that your parent was in Hollywood. Um, yeah, I, just, I also I just need it to not go there, I think. I also hope it doesn't get like just too overly meta like the third one. Yes, like I feel yes. like it got like by the third one it was like 
it had kind of gotten away from being like a genre critique Correct. of the horror industry to a larger set or satire of the film industry and specifically that the town that films are made in, which, as we talked about on our episode about Scream 3, which you can definitely check out, um, yes. really kind of made the film, it's interesting, it, and I we both really liked it, but we have yeah. to acknowledge is definitely kind of inaccessible to a large part of the horror audience who would actually exactly. be consuming the film. Exactly. So I just, I don't want, I don't want Scream 7 to, to suffer the fate of, of Scream 3 in that it gets, it just removes itself a little bit too much from the equation. And I also think that this, that now is the time to play with some of the other ways in which a killer could be brought into this world. And of course, also, it'd be amazing to have Matthew Lillard back. Yes. Agreed. Everything you said and green light screen seven. Thank you so much for listening to our Eerie Extra, which of course is in addition to our regular content. So we appreciate you being excited to hear even more from us. Tony, if they want to reach out to us, what should people do? They can get in touch with us by following our so- us on social medias, or you can reach out to us at our email, which is in the description of this podcast. You can also give us a like or review wherever you get your podcast from and tell your friends about us. Get th- We'd love to bring more people into the horror community and get more people conversing about horror. See what I did there? I did. I did. It was excellent. (laughs) This episode is going to come out whenever Jackson finishes editing it. So I can't tell you what's up next, but I can tell you that Tony and I are so thankful to Jackson for absolutely everything that he does and making it sound like we always know what we're talking about instead of having to occasionally pause to look things up. So thank you so much, Jackson. Yeah, we really appreciate all the time you put into this. And to you, our listeners, thank you so much for listening to our nightmares. And have a spooktacular day. <laughs>